Welcome to the Matthew Moran Podcast. Here you will find a series of in-depth conversations with the world's best nature photographers, conservationists, designers, editors, writers and publishers. You will get an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts. And it is a chance to hear their stories, personal journeys and how they carve a niche to make a living in a rapidly changing, highly competitive but hugely exciting field. I've had the pleasure of working with many of my guests over the years and have learned so much from spending time with them and having conversations about what it means to be a creative freelancer, sourcing exciting projects, sharing skills through partnerships and not losing sight of your goals and dreams. This podcast is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax and enjoy. Today we're mixing it up for the festive season. This is the first of a two-part podcast special. Part two will be released on the 27th of December, so if you've overindulged with food and need to kick back and digest, or perhaps you want to sneak into a quiet place to avoid some annoying family members for a couple of hours. Either way, I encourage you to listen with intent, and hopefully after listening you'll be encouraged to act. I certainly am after spending just a few hours with this guest. So without further delay, let me introduce her. Today, my guest is Joanne MacArthur. Joe is a Canadian photojournalist who has spent the past 20 years documenting the invisible animals, the ones we eat, wear, test on and confine, yet rarely see. Joe's commitment to shine a light on the suffering of billions of animals exploited for human consumption is unparalleled. And she's travelled to more than 60 countries, documenting everything from bullfighting and battery hens to fur farms and the brutal rattlesnake roundup in Texas. Despite the horrors she's witnessed, spend just a few minutes in Joe's company and there's a warm, kind and compassionate person who has dedicated most of her life to animal advocacy. Now at the age of 43, there is no sign of her letting up. Joe's passion and energy and the fight for justice for animals is uncompromising, yet her images have a beauty, an empathy and each tells a story so clear, it's hard not to be moved by her work. Joe's photographs have been published worldwide, and she's also had success in international photography competitions, including the Wildlife Photographer of the Year, where she won the People's Choice Award. She presents keynote presentations to schools, universities, and festivals around the world, and earlier this year, she launched We Animals Media, an agency with a collection of thousands of images and videos dedicated to animal photography and filmmaking. It was a great pleasure meeting Jo while she was documenting the Extinction Rebellion protest in London just a month ago, and in between shoots we got to sit down together and spend some time talking about her life and her work and hear her inspirational stories. You won't want to miss a minute of this. Enjoy. Jo, we're here. We're live back in Tottenham in my studio, and this is another... A uh, great reason for running these podcasts is being able to connect with other photographers. Um, and I'm lucky enough that I live in a city like London where a lot of stuff is going on. And you're here for the Extinction uh, Rebellion protests that are going on over the last couple of weeks. And also for uh, the Wildlife Photographer of the Year. Which and, is, and? <laughs> and a new book. Where, does, where to start inter <laughs> interrupting you? <laughs> Okay. Not at all. That's great because I, I actually didn't have that down in my notes, but I guess because it's new, we can't really find out about it yet. 
it. It's very new. Yeah, it's that new. Exactly. But what um, people don't know is that we've been hanging out all afternoon, having nonstop chatter about love and life <laughs> and work. Yeah, it's been really good. Really good. And yeah. I was under strict instructions from quite early on with Joe to like, let's really not talk about work or photography because we don't want to be repeating ourselves. I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, I entertained you with my misadventures in dating. <laughs> it's fun. It's been great fun. Um, and yeah, this is this is a, a, a really nice kind of happy accident. I saw Joe had a another. This is your second success in Wildlife Photographer of the Year, which is obviously a great thing. Um, and I keep a, a, a keen eye on who's in town. And I also learned about your work in, in much sort of greater depth uh, just this time last year actually in Bristol at the Wild Screen Film Festival and you spoke there and I really loved your presentation and was actually really moved by it and, and also thankful for it because you know you're doing something quite different um, than, than most wildlife photographers of course and, and also something quite different that that festival showcases so it was great that they gave you a good platform to talk about your work. Um, yeah, they did. And I was feeling very fortunate about that, which came from the first uh, Wildlife Photographer of the Year uh, People's Choice Award. And it just led to all sorts of speaking engagements, which I do regularly, but not for the conservation world, not for the photography world. It's often for the animal advocacy world or, you know, I, I don't know why I speak to so many law schools, but I do. It's kind of odd. But um, yeah, found myself. Um, speaking with photographers and conservation types and I really need the work to go in that direction because photographers and conservation photographers are influential people and I really want to be bringing my message and my type of photography over to that world because I believe it's just as important as photographing you know wildlife and the charismatic animals and and so I photograph the invisible animals as you know and um, yeah people are sort of taking a, a chance on me when they invite me to these conferences and I'm the outlier sure sure yeah. and we mustn't sort of kind of take the assumption that everybody listening to this kind of knows who you are and know, knows your work but I love that you've you know, coined this phrase the invisible animals yeah the uh, the invisible animals are, are those who we have a close relationship with but we fail to see them in our lives. So the invisible animals, um, those we have a close relationship with, but no, what we don't see, we wear them. We literally have them on our bodies, the leather and fur, and we eat them every day, um, and, and so on. We use medicines that are tested on them, and uh, yet they as individuals and in the huge numbers uh, are invisible. Um, not like the squirrels, not like the dogs and cats we share our homes with. Um, and these animals are, are equal in sentience. Uh, they are equal in value. They value their own lives. They wish to live. They experience complex emotions, and yet we sequester them away in factory farms and in labs in incredibly abysmal conditions that we don't know about. Yeah, and mm. so, I mean, those things are really hidden from the public, and there are ag-gag laws, and there are... Um, they do everything to keep their lives hidden from us. Mm -hmm. And so that's my job, is to go to these places. This is my self-designated job. It's like super <laughs> depressing and awful and scary. And I don't want to do it. I don't want to have to do it. I would like to have permission to you know, go where I go and document what I, what I see. But 
that's not what the job is. It's investigative work. And, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking it's a little bit, it's quite the contrary to a wildlife photographer getting really excited to go, you know, to an Indian national park and yeah. see tigers. I guess you don't really kind of get that, oh, wow, I can't wait to see all these foxes in cages from this fur farm or these mink or, you know, these chickens cooped up. It's exactly that. And when I was at uh, the German Film uh, Photo Festival a, a couple of years ago, someone came, was looking at my work and came up and said, how do you get any pleasure from your work? <laughs> that's a really and, good question. Yeah, and he was a wildlife photographer. And, and I said, oh, well, that's not the point for me. Mm. And he was astounded, really. And he's like, you dedicate your whole life. Like, look at this. Look at these books. Like, this is what you do on purpose. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, and it's what I do on purpose. And um, I think that when you open the door, whatever that door is, your intellect or, um, yeah, your heart to these issues and the problems and the animals and the individuals, you can't close that door. And that was, that was the case for me. So when I sort of became sensitized to other animals, these others, um, these invisibles, I, I couldn't turn away. Yeah. Yeah, and they have no voice, and they have no representatives in the media anywhere. Um, I mean, it's shit work to, you know, sneak into a farm, crawl through mink shit and pig shit, and document terror and sadness and depravity, uh, which is our depravity as well. And, uh, yeah, it's not... <laughs> Hi, fun, fun yeah. podcast. It's not it's not fun, but it's necessary. Sure. And it used to be just me, but there are so many of us doing it now. Yeah, and that's the great thing. And we, we were talking a little bit earlier about this kind of crossover into, you know, investigative journalist work and, you know, having a certain degree of success in that and then moving over to, you know, in the kind of wildlife photography community... Yeah which is also changing and yes. I guess it, and is this something that you had, had, had thought about in the past or is this a trend that had changed in photography that it was going more kind of, or wildlife photography was going more towards a photojournalist way or style? What was the sort of, you know, certainly with your success in the wildlife photographer of the year over the last couple of years? I can't say that there was a direct goal, unfortunately, or a direct path. It was passion motivating me to be out in the field all the time, which is actually not exactly the right way to do things. Uh, I mean, certainly, why, why is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I was out investigating things that were interesting to me, but they were ending up on a hard drive. I mean, literally six to eight months of year uh, of each year in the field and not having the infrastructure to get images out, whereas a lot of photographers will shoot something carefully and then spend a lot of time editing, getting it out. <laughs> I was just running around like a mad person because there's an emergency everywhere in every single country, you know, whether it's, you know, the richest of countries like Sweden or whether it's in Cameroon, there are really critical problems that I have, you know, been reading on and, and, and learning about. And so running around uh, shooting everything is not the best way. And yet, I mean, it, it did get me here. <laughs> yeah, sure. And at that time, we, we, had you been thinking about, right, you know, because it's one thing, photographing, and that's in, incredibly hard work, you know, refining your craft, honing your skills, getting really, really good body of work. And then it's like equally the same as effort to get the work out there and to get these stories out there and to get recognition and to... Yeah, tell the people the truth about what's going on. 
well, there's a lot there to to unpack and dissect. And but uh, uh, if I could do things differently, I, I would shoot less, and I would have more mentors to look at the work and to you know tell me how to improve and to do a really painful call. We all need that as photographers. Yeah. We need we need critical editors. And uh, I was more interested in getting the stories and rushing around and yeah, shouting about all these things that I've seen but without a good uh, strategy for getting the stories out into the world, with, which is different now. It's completely different how I work and uh, with We Handles Media. Yeah. I don't think I answered your question. No, 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 that's okay. And you know, actually, it might be a good point because we're going to talk about We Animals Media, but we already digressed right off the bat <laughs> of why you're here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In London. And, um, uh -huh. you know, you're, you've been here, what, a, a week already? Mm -hmm. You've got another week left. Um, the timing of this trip is good and organized. You've, you know, you've got another award in Wildlife Tour of the Year. But yeah, talk a little bit about your work with Extinction Rebellion and why you wanted to come here and document what they were up to. It was really nice that uh, WPY was happening at the same time as Extinction, Extinction Rebellion. Um, and uh, what, a, what a blessing to be able to come and photograph these tens of thousands of people who are taking action and and there are all sorts of ways of taking action and you can you know whatever your skills are you can use them as i always say you can you know lobby and you can go into science and you can do arts and stuff but there has to be room for direct action and getting out on the streets and building community and one of the well an, an arm of extinction rebellion is animal rebellion and so they are bringing the animal equation into this massive problem uh, and catastrophe, which is the climate crisis. And so factory farming contributes directly to the climate crisis. And um, people aren't talking about that enough. I think it's because it's too close to home, eating animals. We all eat animals and we all want to eat animals. And, and it seems like a, a, a painful thing, uh, uh, too much of a sacrifice to give that up. I mean, um, carnism is an inherent ideology, and we all take part in it. Most people take part in it. And, um, and so that's why animal rebellion is like a small arm of this, but a very necessary one. And it's a way of amplifying um, the message about uh, animal use and factory farming and the environmental overlaps. So mm -hmm. I'm here for XE, but I'm here for animal rebellion, really, to um, help show what they're doing, which is taking part and, you know, with their signs and their message and their goals. Great. And so what kind of things have you been up to this week? Where, where have you been photographing? And have you, you haven't managed to get arrested yet or anything? like? I've been really lucky yeah. <laughs> on the arrest uh, front, unlike hundreds of people here. Have you been arrested? Never. Wow, that's quite extraordinary. It's actually a miracle at this point. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> it is. <laughs> That's amazing. You kind of maybe you just yeah, write riding Lady Luck. I actually asked uh, when when Joe and I were out earlier. I asked her about, you know, do you carry a press pass and that type of thing? And she said, no, you know, I just smile nicely. And yeah. your smile's working, right? Oh, it's because I like people. Yeah. I like people, and I'm really curious about people. And I think that is one of the key ingredients to being a successful pho a photojournalist. You're out in the field. You're in the midst of everything, and you want to get in the thick of everything. And so you have to be a people person to an extent, or you have to have a lot of empathy at the very least. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and so when I'm shooting, I like to just humble myself and be small and, and appreciate what's going on around me and learn from 
every little thing that I'm seeing. Oh, it's it's a great way to be in the world. I have to say, yeah. being a photojournalist, uh, I'm so lucky to to be able to immerse myself in this world quietly yeah. and learn through the lens. That's awesome, and I can imagine as well. Um, you know, with with you know photographing these people and what they're up to, they're in a way, especially in the social media age, they are happy to have their picture taken. You know, you're not going to get come across too much, especially around what's been going on here in London in the last couple of weeks. Um, people want to get their message out. They see photographers walking around with gear. It's like, yeah, well, you're helping in mm-hmm. whatever way. If the if these images are going to be published in online in the press, um, mm-hmm. so you're going to have a welcome audience here. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I also really appreciate that these people are vulnerable. I could use the images against them. They don't know um, if I will do that. And also the people who are putting themselves on the line and getting arrested and coming out with signs and taking part um, are subject to ridicule by many, many, many people. And so they are trusting me to create an image um, that... Uh, will share their message yeah, and, of course. and be empathetic and yeah it's a responsibility yeah it's I saw um, of course these things you know Twitter is it has its advantage but it can also be a bit of a cesspit on it <laughs> and I saw a photograph of um, a, a group of Extinction Rebellion from this week um, you know in McDonald's you know buying their lunch and okay it's not a good look is it you know mm-hmm. you've got their flags and mm-hmm. uh, and but hey look no one's perfect these people are still out there and they've given up their time and i myself went down and uh, just to have a look also take some pictures and i was struck i don't know why i was struck but it was just incredibly well organized you know i of course went there with my own judgments um but uh i was you know hugely impressed and the vibe was incredibly quiet peaceful Mm -hmm. um and you know these these people are not doing it for you know for fun or for anarchy or for kicks it's i think at the core whatever you think about the look the general look of it um it's it's something that that can't be ignored and people that do post pictures on twitter to go ha extinction rebellion people in mcdonald's it's like a total fraud you know it's um that kind of cynicism doesn't really get you anywhere at least you know these people are out there doing stuff which is great the gotcha mentality. Yeah. It's like it gets them off the hook. Yeah. And allows them to just sit on the couch and not take part <laughs> while the world burns. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of things have you have you shot this week in, in London? Um, I've been trying to take portraits of the people involved and uh, their ideas and their care and their humanity. It's hard, you know, Who, who's even to say that I've been successful at all. Uh, but also getting in there in the middle of things with the wide angle. That's yeah. always fun. Yeah. And I haven't had a close enough edit yet to, sure. to really paint a picture. But I'm trying to paint a picture from the details to the faces, to the yeah. wides, to the camps. And what's that experience like when you're, you've got a wide angle and, you know, I saw you at work today. It was great. You got right in the thick of it, you know. And, and, and I suppose it goes back to what the German photographer asked you, you know, how do you get a thrill out of this? That must also be exciting. When you're not obviously photographing animals in distress, you're photographing people protesting. It can be, a, I can imagine it'd be quite a thrill. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And we all have our ways of being in the moment and um, 
you know, ways of doing that. And for me, it's with the camera. And uh, it's, it's quite addictive to be out in the world trying to create something beautiful or out of something tragic or out of whatever is in front of you. It's really an exciting thing to try to convey what you're seeing or a moment or how you're feeling about it to the rest of the world. It's a big challenge. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And uh, it's just such a joy. <laughs> That's awesome. So you can have fun doing what you do. Just... I, yeah, um, I, I do. I, I do. And with the with the work that is not fun, and a lot of it is not fun because I'm, you know, like like war photographers were going into these painful places to photograph traumas and, and violence and suffering. Um, it's not fun to witness those things, but what is satisfying is to do something with the images. It's satisfying to educate people, create change, and just be a tiny part of that. Visuals are a part of the machine that will that will create change. So it's nice to be part of something. Yes, yeah, that's been very much what in, in a previous podcast with Stefani talked about himself being a, a communicator, you know, rather than a photographer. Mm. And it's like you become exactly what you just said, one piece of government decision makers. People will always need images as well as data and text yes. um, in order to, to paint the full picture. And I've built this uh, whole work of mine, this whole project, which is We Animals, in a way that it can be easily accessible to the world for free. And so you don't know who's looking, right? And you don't know who's looking and using the images until someone happens to get back to you. And not a lot of people do. Right. But it's incredible how many people write to us, the, the team and I, to say that one of my images, you know, encouraged them to be plant-based or um, the number of images that end up on billboards. Um, or you, you just don't know. And that's, uh, that's when you have those yeah, kind of yes moments. You know, this is... Because in your work, when you're seeing a lot of really dark stuff, it must be very rewarding to have that feedback. And it, is, it is the reward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because there's, there's not much of a reward when you're leaving a farm. For example, like let's say I go into a uh, broiler chicken farm. Broilers are meat chickens or hens. You know, in a single night, I can go to a property that has a million or over a million animals cramped into these conditions. And... Um, there's no pleasure in witnessing their suffering and then there's no pleasure in leaving other than you got out safely without getting a baseball bat to the head yeah but um i'm there to try and capture an essence of what their experience might be but then i leave without them you know i have all this freedom as a human and humans make all the decisions and we have all the autonomy and they have nothing they have they just you know when they look at us be it a pig or a chicken or an animal in the lab they're always looking at us humans like what's next what are you going to do to me what are you going to do to my body where are you taking me are you taking my children um you know and and then like they, then they see themselves next in line for slaughter and they're just looking at you for answers or for mercy it's raw isn't it it is yeah. it is and so i carry that and i carry these precious images out with me so that other people can see what I see yeah. and hopefully connect. And in some kind of, you know, Hollywood fantasy, it'd be great just to kind of unlock all of those cages and set all of those individuals free. But 
ultimately it's, they'll end up in the same fate <laughs> somehow and yeah. it won't help either yeah sometimes i photograph open rescues which is really nice yeah yeah and that's a form of direct action where uh, activists will go in not with balaclavas on or anything they go in and they film everything they uh, they film themselves removing let's say 10 hens from a cage and then bringing them to a sanctuary and saying this is who we are this is why we're doing this uh, we're aware that this is illegal but this is our moral imperative to help when we can uh, so that's always nice i do get to photograph some of those yeah. i mean sometimes myself as well i can i can rescue an animal um which is like kind of straying from <laughs> the topic and straying from like what I'm supposed to be doing and how people will see me. I want people to see me as a professional mm. uh, photographer, not as, you know, a thief. <laughs> so why am I getting into this? I guess, I guess, you know, sometimes there, sometimes I'm able to rescue a dying animal and take someone with me. Yeah. I mean, this is really getting into it, but there was one time I was photographing a dumpster full of dead rabbits in plastic bags, uh, but there was one still alive, suffocating in a plastic bag. Yeah, and we were already, you know, leaving the property, and it was broad daylight, and there was no way I could, I could leave, and so I broke open the plastic bag and took this rabbit. Wow. Yeah. And what happened to the rabbit? She lived about five days. Oh. Yeah, she was really and far did, gone. Did you take her home, or...? She, yeah, we brought her right to a vet, right. and then we gave her care, and she, yeah. she didn't make it. But at least she died not from suffocation, but without, you know, too much yeah. pain and medication and care and love. Yeah, and you know, I get it because we, you know, also live in a world of, you know, there's certain ways of doing things and you shouldn't interfere. And, you know, I mean, I, I, actually, I, I, it was maybe a year or so ago, you know, I follow Paul Nicklin on, on Instagram. He's got like five million followers, that huge influencer. And he posted this image or a story of, of, of this um, bald, eagle, bald eagle that they'd rescued. And this bald eagle was being attacked by other eagles and they'd like slammed it into the water. It couldn't fly. So he decided, you know, to, in, to interfere, take this bald eagle. They'd brought it in the boat, took it to the shore. And, you know, then there's my brain starts going, OK, well, that bald eagle would have made, you know, a meal for other animals, blah, blah. So, you know, frown upon. But like he's just showing, you know, the human side of it and okay you can rescue that one animal and you know you get a good feeling from it you get a buzz from it but like you know the science community be like oh, no no you shouldn't never interfere never you know never touch well let's look at the line here between humanity and other animals uh, we animals and those animals so would we have would he have left like a child to drown because the child possibly could be you know fish food yeah you know sure um it's it's nice to help others in the natural world and in the city world and the world we've created, we all need to help each other. Yeah, and I guess there's a fundamental problem with the argument straight away of, of viewing it as us and them. Yes. As well. Yeah, exactly. There's this hierarchy, you know, and and they would never have left one of their teammates to, to drown and be no. fish water. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, if, of course, of course, like, you know, animals eat animals and all of, you know, <laughs> the natural <laughs> things that happen but it, it doesn't mean that you should never help someone who's in need yeah exactly exactly um so we talked a bit about we animals but we can I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because it's this in, incredible archive i mean you know one of i mean one of the questions i had for you later on was you know you do so much stuff you know how the hell do you find time for it all but you know running a, a picture agency now and i know you know you mentioned having a team 
of course that that helps but was was this also a, a bit of a dream of yours of having this archive that people could access the dream has always been how uh, how can i do the most good for the most number of animals uh, i guess that wasn't always the dream i mean i was rushing around shooting 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 but then it was like okay let's employ some strategy here i have a huge body of work which is called we animals and the world needs access to it um, and so how do I do that so we built a framework for images there are about 12,000 images there from around the world I've traveled to almost 60 countries now to wow. yeah to, to document our relationship with animals other animals and um, yeah and so I needed to put them somewhere where people could access the images freely um, they can make a donation in in exchange for image usage but they don't have to uh, and it comes to back to what Britta Yashinsky was saying is that everything she does is for the animals and yeah. I really appreciate that uh, she's a friend and a colleague and a comrade of mine and, and does things for that reason I really resonate with that um, it's how to do the best for them which is why I put my images on an archive and it's also why I built we animals media from we animals um, it was just the path I think that was inevitable like how can I do better how can I reach more and that's why bringing in more people so instead of having you know Joe MacArthur out there with their <laughs> camera let's have uh, let's let's bring in as contributors lots more people who are doing this kind of work give them a platform uh, bring their work into the archive so we're doing a lot of building right now that's awesome oh. and how do you you know the nitty-gritty we don't have to go into it in, in in great detail but like make it work you know this is okay you're a photographer you've got all this content shot over a number of years and you're giving it away for free you know yeah. how do you make this pay money we need money yeah yeah and we have grants right now and we have monthly donors um, what's it's been a really fun journey of entrepreneurship I, I really enjoy running a business and figuring out how to do it and I like taking pictures I like doing that um, so it's like, okay, well, you know, initially the event and wedding photography paid for the good stuff, as I call it, which was my animal work, which yeah. is what I was passionate about. And so I have shot like five or 600 weddings. Wow. So it was true. You just, yeah. I was saying to my partner, Ro, I said, I was 60 or 600. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a lot of work. How many were you doing? Yeah. For years and years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the food photography, the event photography sure. all paid for the documentary work. Yeah. So it just freed you up to. To, for, for flights to places to yeah. yeah I mean I wouldn't call it freeing me up right it was just paying <laughs> sound, for yeah, yeah uh, just a colossal amount of work and determination to go 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 yeah. and uh, but then I you know started getting more advice and and teammates and colleagues and one of them said well it's time to do a platform like a monthly uh, crowdfunding platform mm -hmm. I was really nervous about that because I'm I just am very proud of doing everything on my own. Yeah. <laughs> Learning uh, how to delegate is a real skill. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. And a challenge. It's been good, though. But we started a, a monthly um, platform. And so all of a sudden we were getting about 5,000 Canadian a month, Great. which paid for a lot of things and flights and additional staff, social media, full time communications, director of operations, archivist, editor. Wow. Uh, and did this happen quite quickly when once you started getting these donations? Were you able to? Mm hmm. 
employ people? Yes, so it was me, and then now there are seven of us, full and part-time, and that's over the last three years. And so we had the monthly donations from amazing people who care enough to donate like $5 a month or $10 a month. We get larger grants, and we also um, got a really nice grant from the Open Philanthropy Project. So they gave us um, a big chunk of money to build We Animals Media. They were watching what we were doing, and they're like, hey, how can we help you scale up? Wow, that's the, the dream. It is. Yeah, to yeah. get, to get a, a, an offer rather than hustle. Yeah. I'm sure you've done tons of hustling as well, but I suppose the, 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 the hustle is in, in also just getting the work and and getting people that can see that you're serious and, and uh, you know, you believe in what you're doing. Yes, and you have to show that you're serious. I think a, a lot of people right now want to fast track. They want to find a way to fast track to uh, a degree of success that they haven't earned. So you have to work hard. You have to show you're good for it. And that's why we have monthly don- donations. These people were like, okay, well, she's been out there for over 10 years now. Like, we know she's not going anywhere and we know she's taking better and better pictures. She's committed. So we're going to give her a couple dollars a month. And uh, patience is not my virtue. And it's not the virtue of many people. But really, you have to. Like, put your nose down and work hard and don't expect shortcuts. And you might get lucky and have a shortcut, but it's not going to last. You have to get out there. You have to work hard and build. And building is fun, right? Like, we're often focused on the prize instead of the, the journey. But the journey, the journey is great. You learn so much. Totally. Slow is, is fun, isn't it? The slow progress. Yes. Like, yeah, this, uh, again, Stefan said in the last podcast um, uh, that, you know, if... if if it goes quickly, it's it's it, it, it can collapse quickly. Yeah, right. As well, yeah, you know. I agree. You watch any of those kind of whatever um, talent TV shows, and you know, quick to stardom, and then they're like, you know, a month later in the press because they've you know got some drug addiction or their <laughs> relationships like <laughs> falling apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's about maybe mm-hmm. a bad analogy, but like the the I, I really enjoy that. I think the the, the slow process. Is great because it also takes. It's you know, there's so many of us out there, photography-wise. There's so many photographers mm-hmm. doing this that to really, um, you know, hone your skills, learn your craft, and also just to find your voice as well. You know, you can be mm-hmm. a great photographer, but to to find what really resonates with you, that you get that feeling in your belly, like okay, that's that's what I want to do, and yes. this is what I want to specialize in. Is how you get the recognition and get the audience. I can't add to that. That's exactly Thanks. it. <laughs> That's exactly it. Um, actually, we just mentioned books. So you have two books currently published, and you're working on a third. Um, I've published three books. I really enjoyed the bookmaking process. Working with a publisher, um, you know, the, the final say is not yours, essentially. I don't know if that was what it was like when you were working with your publisher, but how was that experience in, you know, you, these are your images, it's, you've spent so much time on them. How was that experience working with a publisher and trying to get the story across that you wanted to get across? I think my situation is unique in that this was not a typical publisher. Right. So Lantern Books and my editor publisher, Martin Rowe, is just a beautiful, compassionate human being who uh, also... Um, was sort of watching my work grow from a distance. I had asked him years ago if he would publish my work, but I was sort of too small and they didn't have the budget. But he saw that the work, I guess, was 
different and influential. And so he got on board and we worked together. And so while a lot of photographers don't get to, you know, don't have ultimate say on things, I, I really did have a lot That's of that. Great, yeah. And so he was more of a, a business partner than uh, just a publisher. And, um, and essentially I retained the rights to the book as well so that the funding or like the sales would be coming into We Animals because he also wanted to support We Animals. Wow. So yes. a gorgeous, gorgeous situation. <laughs> I'm so lucky. And then he handled all of the nitty gritty that I wanted nothing to do with. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, uh, Lantern Books published We Animals and then Captive. And now with the next book, uh, the working title is Animals in the Anthropocene. Um, we Animals Media will actually publish it, which is oh, interesting. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, unless we get some huge publisher, probably we won't. It's a very niche subject matter. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, part of what We Animals Media is doing now is, I mean, we're working with a lot of contributors doing more work, but we're going to be publishing. We're uh, putting out our first feature film. It's madness. Wow. That's... <laughs> That's so better, like better than your wildest dreams, right? This is really nice. And yeah. You have, you know, this also, you know, we'll, we'll um, like always put all the links and, and everything else up to We Animals and your Instagram account and everything else on social media. But, you know, with We Animals on Instagram, you've got a big following, you've, you've got the archive and doing films and books. I mean, it's really like all out assault on trying to get your story out there. Oh, and one more thing about yeah. the all-out assault. Uh, we want to support people who are working in animal advocacy. We want to uplift their their work and their voices and amplify all of that. So we That's have a, great. Yeah, we have a project called, uh, wait a minute, but first, by doing that, uh, I mentor a lot of people uh, in this field. Uh, a lot of people ask me questions about how I do what I do, and they have questions of access and all this. So we've, um, we've uh, filmed a masterclass series, eight episodes, uh, answering all the questions that people have for me. So there's that mentoring. Uh, and we also have a project called Unbound, which is about women on the front lines of animal advocacy worldwide, because there are tons of women, way more than men, in animal advocacy, and yet it's often a man at the top of a, an surprise, organization. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, that's nothing new. So a man in a position of leadership, and uh, but a lot of busy bees who are the women doing the harder work. Uh, or the hard work, and and so I decided to um, build a project called Unbound that celebrates women animal advocates and pioneers in the field, be it animal law, animal science, uh, art. No man at the top running everything. <laughs> so it's a focus on the women, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's been just gorgeous. It's It's been a gift to me as well to be able to tell these really positive stories and not just always doing investigative work. That's great. And becoming a mentor is really nice at this stage of your career of being able to look at the next generation. And you're, <laughs> not, you're not that old anyway, Joe. I'm only joking. But, no, 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 but it's true. I mean, yeah, when you, when you start getting people asking you questions, it doesn't actually feel like it was that long ago that you were mm -hmm. perhaps asking the same questions to, you know, your influences and your heroes. Um, which, by the way, I was actually curious to ask you that question, you know, when you were, you know, early 20s and you were shooting all these weddings and and <laughs> thinking that you know what you wanted to do was quite clear your passion you who who were the photographers and influencers that, that you were looking at magnum yeah yeah magnum and the street photographers and their ability to get close to things and uh, convey uh, an instant moment uh, to the masses uh, so the Magnum photographers, and then Jane Goodall mm -hmm. as well. I mean, she's a hero to many of us. 
And I remember growing up and seeing her unconventional life and that, you know, she lived, uh, she decided to live in the forest and study chimpanzees and, and was doing things her way. And I was like, wow, look at that. I want that life. Yeah. Yeah. And so I always knew I would have an unconventional life of adventure, and I didn't know it would be this. <laughs> but here we are. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, and also, what's you know really nice, when I started doing these podcasts, the first four were all men, and I was like, wow, I really need... You know, I really need to, to get some, some women involved. And um, it was it was a goal from the beginning. And you will now be the third woman in a row on this podcast. And, and it's great. And it's, you know, particularly in an industry, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, most of these have been more on the wildlife photography side. They definitely involve conservationists too, but it is still very much a, a male-dominated world, which I guess comes back to the, the Unbound project and the mission behind that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And... Um... And that's also why I'm pleased to have an amplified voice now in the in the photography world, as I know I'm, you know, representing a lot of ideas, but also women. I mean, women are out there doing a kick-ass job, but they may not be uh, putting themselves out there so much in terms of gaining visibility and doing podcasts and like getting themselves out there. It's yeah, so that needs to change. Yeah, absolutely. And not only for women doing it for themselves, but for people giving them the opportunities. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, there's already been lots of really good information. And one of the things I often always ask my guests is, you know, how, um, you know, I, have a, I know from the analytics, a lot of young people listen to this. Um, also, a lot of women listen to this podcast. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of people wanting, like, you get, you know, questioning how do you kind of get into this work or how do you get access? But having, you know, there's, you've already given some great information about how people can start in this world. Because I think a lot of people do have... You know, there's feelings um, and, you know, especially now with the, the, the vegan movement being so strong, um, animal rights being so strong. In fact, I just read um, today that, um, I don't know if you heard about this, California have, have banned fur farms, which is absolutely awesome. They've also banned um, animals in, in uh, performing in circuses. They've just signed this over. Um, and, you know, this is bit by bit, things are changing. It's a historical time to yeah. to be involved in animal advocacy because things are changing quickly, and so uh, we can push things further quicker now. Uh, there's more of an understanding of animal sentience and that it's just simply not right to have animals in circuses. It's uh, simply unnecessary to wear animals. Oh, gosh, yeah. And so we are seeing countries ban uh, for production. Uh, we were seeing, like you said, banning of you know even um, circuses and rodeos and and pet stores and yeah. Yeah, sometimes I'm naive and just assume that you know lots of Western countries would have just banned this already. But when I read that, I was like, oh, they actually still had animal circuses in California. It's like, it's, yeah, they did. Money. Is, yeah. Yeah, especially where there are populations and audiences and yeah, and where there's an audience, you know. There's money to be made, and so that's also, you know, going back to like pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Education yeah. of the masses, but also pressure on companies to be ethical. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it takes relentless, you know, hard work. You Ugh. think about how long ago I watched Blackfish, for example, and you know that's still an issue, Ugh. and it's just still still going on. Um, and actually, before I forget, encourage all the listeners to go and. and without a doubt check out the We Animals archive because I was 
in researching Jo and looking at all her work was astonished at the, at the amount of not only images but kind of categories you cover. I mean, there's like no stone unturned yet. I mean, what you know, what, are there things that you feel in that archive that you are, are, are missing? I mean, it's just an incredible body of work and, and what triggered my you know, thought around that was you know doing a lot of work in in zoos for example and highlighting the issues around animals uh, in in captivity and I, and on that I was also curious to ask you because this question comes up quite a lot about you know zoos and their roles and um, um, my previous guest uh, Roxy works at a zoo she's mm -hmm. a, a vegan activist and wildlife photographer but she works as an interpreter and. I, as a kid, remember going to the zoo and loving it and also getting inspired. I know they're centers for conservation, so there is good work that they do. I was just curious with your experiences, you know, what your kind of take on the, the, the zoo and the futures of zoos is. Mm. Well, there is some good work that they can do, absolutely. Uh, but a lot of that work can be done in protected wild areas. Uh, zoos are absolutely, by and large, made for our entertainment. Yeah, and the animals have almost no autonomy. Um, they live in groups that are made for them. They get transported uh, for breeding programs. Uh, these zoos are generally very, very problematic when you're thinking about the, um, uh, the emotional life of the animal and the options that are available to them. Uh, zoos can become places of true conservation and they have a ways to go and some of them are going there. There are leaders uh, in the world doing that. Who are they now um, in your experience? The Detroit Zoo is, has a huge humane education program. They have rescued over 30,000 animals. Wow. So it's a zoo that rescues you know, animals from entertainment like polar bears performing animals and oh, all this kind of thing. And um, they are, like the Detroit Zoo invests in uh, in situ conservation in Africa for gorillas and, and other animals. And they're just finding innovative and digital ways to entertain us and to make lots of money, not off the backs of animals. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the very short answer. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's great and it's clear and it's like we need this kind of seismic shift in our, our thinking about what these centers are for and what they represent. And, mm -hmm. and, and we need these, these institutions. I mean, these are physical uh, buildings that we can use for wildlife con conservation. Um, they employ really talented scientists and caretakers and behaviorists. Like they have everything they need to continue to do a better job. Yeah. And, and they will. And we need to close all the roadside zoos. Yeah. 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 No doubt. Thanks for listening to part one. There is so much in there to distill and digest. And you have a few days to do just that. As I mentioned, part two will be released on Friday, the 27th of December, in just a few days. And wow, I can't wait to share it with you. What a great speaker Joe is and so generous with their time. You know, photographers doing this kind of work are not on glamorous salaries by any stretch and they all give up their time for these interviews for free. But here's where you can get involved. 
head over to her page on the podcast section of my website and there you will find tons of links about joe her work and also we animals media where you'll find a whole range of subjects that she's covered and some fascinating stories too and you can help support you can donate to them just visit weanimalsmedia.org forward slash support you can also help by sharing this podcast with your community friends family on your social media platforms leave a review on itunes i say this every time but it really helps us to reach a bigger audience looking forward to sharing part two until then have a happy christmas a happy holiday and we'll see you soon (music) 